Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Hi, my name is Steve Norman, and welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast of Winning at Home. Uh, I am honored and privileged to have as our guest today, Angie Trenilia. Angie's one of our therapists. Angie, thanks so much for making time. Thanks for having me, Steve. I appreciate it. Okay, so you've got a litany of qualifications that make you awesome at what you do. Walk, walk me through all of the letters that you have on your business card. That is being very, very generous, but yes, so I am a licensed professional counselor. I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist in actually three different states, Michigan, Illinois, and Indiana. I'm also an AMFT approved supervisor, which is the national organization for marriage and family therapists, which was an honor and a privilege to get to do. So I get to walk alongside some newer therapists and just guiding them on their journeys is a great privilege and honor to do. It sounds really intense, but really what makes me great is the people I get to work with, my clients and my colleagues. And Angie, you're like, you've got this reputation that precedes you about being amazingly gifted and sensitive with helping Mm -hmm. couples walk through tricky issues. And before we get to some of those, just talk to me about your journey to understanding your calling. Like what, how, how did you know that this particular mm-hmm. form of service mm-hmm. to the kingdom was something that you were wired for? I didn't always know that I was wired for it. That was definitely my own individual God journey. My parents are divorced. Okay. And so I actually started, I had the great honor to go to Calvin College for my undergraduate and then did my master's at Western. Okay. Amazing program. Um, but I actually started at Calvin pre-law. I wanted to be a divorce attorney. How old were you when your parents' marriage? I was in seventh grade when the divorce happened for the final time. And did you, had that been unfolding for a while or did that, was that a surprise? No, that was not a surprise. It had been unfolding for many, many years. Yes. And that was obviously something that you carried with you as you went into college. Absolutely. Yes. I, but I was determined that I was going to be a divorce attorney and actually help break couples apart. And as I started taking psych classes, One of my professors at Calvin was actually a marriage and family therapist. And so she started teaching us about family systems work and helping us understand how the family system we grew up in not only impacts who we are as people, but impacts how we relate to people intimately and vulnerably. So much of what she was saying was so fascinating to me and helped me understand a lot about how my own experience in my family growing up was changing and impacting the person that I am. I was so fascinated with it, it totally changed the course of what I wanted to do. And by my second semester at Calvin, I was majoring in psychology and knew I wanted to be a marriage and family therapist. And I never looked back from there. And at what points did you see God confirm or affirm for that call? It felt confirmed from the very beginning as everything about the world of marriage and family therapy clicked so strongly with me, not only internally, but as I started understanding how it can help people it was a no-brainer. It was just so concrete. And then as I actually got into my master's program and started actually being able to work with clients, it was absolutely incredible how this framework, this perspective of family systems work was able to open doors for people that not only helped them understand what was going on for them, but it answered the question, why? And so many people come in struggling with, like, for example, couples come in stuck in these horrible patterns, stuck in these hurt places where they don't feel any hope, they they feel completely helpless. Family systems work allowed me to come into those places with couples early on and not only help them break that framework, but it helped answer the question, why were they stuck in it in the first place? Helping them dig into their own family system, help them understand how that was impacting their ability to vulnerably connect with their spouse. Early on, it was just incredible to see the kind of insight this brought to clients. 
it's fascinating. I mean, I could talk about it for absolutely hours, but it, from the beginning, it was just such a God-confirmed thing that this is what I was meant to do. Um, I'm sure you've heard the phrase where they're like, if you do what you love, you never work a day, which, I mean, we all kind of roll our eyes at, but this has been so much more than a job. It felt like a calling so early on. And when it actually started helping people, I was like, clearly God is using me for a reason because it's making a difference. It, it's humbling. Well, it's it's clear that you find find life and joy from serving mm-hmm. couples the way that you do. So thank you I do. for investing in that way. I, it feels like a blessing to me, to be honest, which I know sounds cheesy. Everyone says that, but it does, really. Mm-hmm. So Angie, the podcast is called Hope Through Hard Stuff. Mm-hmm. And obviously... When clients come to Winning at Home, mm-hmm. some are doing some preventative maintenance, some yeah. are doing just some touch-ups, but many people come because they're in crisis. Yes. What types of crises are you seeing these days? Mm-hmm. Like what, what what kind of patterns or themes are, are popping up in your work? I would say two main big ones are popping up in my work, and they're, they're issues that I see over and over again. One of two things, either infidelity or couples struggling with their sexual intimacy. So so infidelity work and sex therapy have become two of my biggest passions, but then also two of the issues I see people coming in with often. And, and they're in that place where they don't see any way out, especially when I have couples coming in where recently infidelity has come out, even if the infidelity hasn't recently happened. That's often a place where couples and spouses just feel completely hopeless. They they don't see a way out of this. They don't see a way forward. They don't know how their marriage could possibly survive that. And they're coming to Winning at Home. They're coming to see our therapist. They're coming to see me in that place of, of just complete hopelessness and not seeing the way out. And it's incredibly humbling and exciting to be able, even in the first session, to let them know that this is what we do. This is what I do and that they're not going to have to walk that journey alone, that I'm going to walk it with them, and that even though they're the ones that are going to have to do the work, that I I know the steps that need to be taken, that we need to go next. And even just knowing that someone knows where we need to go in that can be incredibly encouraging to them in a place where they've had no hope. Just leaving knowing that someone kind of knows the path we need to take. I'm always very honest with them, though, that it is going to be a very, very hard path, especially if we're working through healing and fidelity that kind of therapy work, it's such a unique place to work in because it doesn't follow the typical pattern of couples work because it means that the betrayer needs to really be held accountable because building trust is no small task. And I would say that is probably one of the biggest things I see frequently is couples wanting to find a way to build trust in the midst of deep infidelity. And you know, every couple is different, but if you were going to create... Mm -hmm kind of a model or yeah. a template for this kind of struggle, how would it how would it play out? Well, I would say first and foremost, there's kind of two areas that we need to focus on. And there's two areas that I, and like you said, each couple is individual about what this looks like for them. But not only do we need to look at building trust in the here and now, um, but we need to find a very concrete way to do that. Um, and this is where it can get very uncomfortable for clients and couples is because the the betrayer, the partner that betrayed the marriage um, and was unfaithful, the, really the only way to build back that trust is through concrete actions that can be validated. So there needs to be proof. There needs to be concrete steps that help build that trust back. For example, if part of the infidelity was that they were texting the affair partner or sending pictures or calling the phone is going to be a huge trigger for the hurt partner. Um, anytime they see their spouse on the phone, immediately that fear, that feeling of, of not being safe in the marriage is going to come back up. 
So that would be a step of us creating boundaries around phone usage that helps create security for that partner. I've had clients who have had to send pictures, you know, showing that they are where they say they are. Um, but the, the other piece to that is that we want to start reconnecting the couple. So I usually want to find a way that's that's fun and engaging of rebuilding this relationship that has just been broken because the relationship that was can no longer be. So it's actually having to re-engage the relationship all over again. So for instance, if sending pictures of where you are not only builds the trust, but it's a fun way to connect throughout the day, what a win-win. What a great way to just help this couple reconnect while also building trust and security. Um, so even though we're doing really tough work, the purpose is to rebuild a connection and that doesn't have to be horrible. It can re really be fun and even flirtatious at times. But so really those are the first two things that we're doing is looking at how do we concretely build the trust back, but also how do we concretely rebuild a connection. One of the other big things that we need to do is the hurt partner really needs to have their betrayal validated. They need to know that the partner that did the betraying understands the hurt and the pain and that can't just be done through some small conversation of like, I know I hurt you. It needs to be done a hundred times a day over and over and over for as long as they need to just know that their partner sees the pain that they've caused. Um, and all of these are big things. They're really big things that partners often don't know how to do and, and couples are coming in completely lost in. So to be able to lay the groundwork with them of like, these are the three things we're working to achieve and this is how we're going to do that in the very concrete here and now can often give a great sense of hope moving forward. Angie, what do you say to couples where the betrayed party comes in and they're in crisis and the mm -hmm. betrayer isn't ready or willing to come to the table to move forward? Mm. Is it an instance where it's just the hurt partner coming in individually? Yeah. And then that is just giving the hurt partner the space and support that they need to process through their pain. And also understand, then what does that look like moving forward to them? Because if the betrayer isn't willing to take responsibility for their actions, how do you heal from that? Yeah, and I think that's unfortunately seen this play out through acquaintances and mm. friends over the years. And sometimes you'll hear the betrayer say in some convoluted attempt at justification, mm. say, well, I'm not happy for this reason. And then sometimes one of the more hurtful statements was, I was never happy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that I ever loved you to begin with. What do you say mm -hmm. when the betrayed is having to absorb not just the initial blow of the betrayal, but but a version of history that doesn't seem congruent with any of their experience yes. at all? Mm -hmm. Well, in the betrayed, and I, I use the language, the hurt partner, the, yeah. the partner that's been hurt, when they're coming in in that place, their their entire bedrock of identity has been completely blown apart. So not only are they in this place of complete betrayal, but when we're in an instance like you're talking about, when everything's being convoluted and turned back around in them and making it almost seem like the, the affair was their fault, that, well, they weren't a good spouse, and so that's why it happened. Oftentimes, the hurt partner then has stopped even trusting themselves. They don't even know what to believe at that point, and sometimes even starts to blame themselves for the fact that this happened. And that is just like the darkest place to be in because not only are you so incredibly hurt but you feel like you're to blame and it's in those moments where a good therapist can create that space of being able to come into that place with you and help you peel those layers apart of understanding that this wasn't your fault um, that even though the relationship might have had its problems there's a difference between blame and responsibility um, i'm sure there were dynamics going on in that relationship that that weren't great 
but that doesn't justify. That doesn't justify an action. And so helping them peel apart those layers and understand why is it that we're allowing that framework to be taken on of, of second-guessing yourself, second-guessing what you're responsible for. And oftentimes we can then dig into issues of, of codependency, of low self-esteem, of maybe even the role they played in their own family system. Um, but helping the hurt partner be able to peel that apart and understand that they are not to blame and validate that hurt and pain that they've gone through. And then eventually hopefully get to some boundary work of what does that look like then to set boundaries in a relationship where the betrayer is not willing to take responsibility. Um, it can be really difficult but really rewarding work to see. I say fortunately because I consider it a great honor, but I've worked with many, many clients, both men and women, that have been the hurt partner in the situation you're talking about. And sometimes it's taken years, but to see them be able to trust their intuition again, be able to trust themselves again, and be able to understand and know that they were not to blame, that, that the affair was not their fault, um, and be able to start to peel back some of those layers is, is really encouraging and empowering. Um, so when we're in a situation like that and the betrayer isn't willing to take responsibility, that's a really tough conversation because healing can't happen when that's not there. That is the first step. If they're not willing to take responsibility, we're kind of in a stuck place of, well, then we need to talk about what this looks like. Angie, talk a little bit more about codependency because mm -hmm. I, I think we've both witnessed some people who are the hurt party and they're so desperate to keep the marriage intact, but the, the person who's inflicting that pain isn't in a mature or a healthy or responsible mm -hmm. place. They're continuing on a path of destructive behavior. They're holding the marriage hostage and mm -hmm. the hurt party is trying to accommodate even higher degrees of dysfunction mm -hmm. just because there's 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 loyalty or there's fear of trying to identify themselves outside of that marital relationship that has defined yeah. them for so long. What, what do you say when that codependency is rearing its ugly head in that type of dynamic? That's usually where family systems work can be extremely exciting. Okay. Um, and I know it might sound twisted that I think it's exciting, but it really is. Because when we're seeing someone in that place where they are trying to hold on to a relationship that continues to just cause them pain and emotional trauma, um, usually there's a deeper story there. We want to understand the why. What is going on for that person that is leading them to hold on so strongly to that relationship? It usually goes a lot deeper than just what's happening in the relationship. And that's where I love exploring family systems with people, helping them understand how, and, and when I say family system, it's, it's talking about their family of origin, the family that they grew up in, which might be biological and might not be. Um, but it's helping them understand how the family they grew up in and the role they played in that family, how it shaped them. Um, a lot of times, if we are leaving a family system in a role where we don't feel like we're good enough um, or we don't feel like we have value, that can lead to being codependent in a relationship. And so then we try to play out that need to be enough, that need to be wanted. We try to play that out in, in our intimate relationships and in our marriages and helping clients dig a little deeper to understand where is this desire to, to hold on so strongly to something that continues to hurt you? Where is that coming from? What need are you trying to fill there? And a lot of times we can dig into family systems work and, and understand some really incredible things about messages clients were given about their value, their worth, how they deserve to be treated, conflict, communication, intimacy, that we are learning all of that as we grow up. And a lot of times people don't even understand that that's happening. So there's a lot of unconscious desires, needs, and messages going on that are then playing into trying to hold on to this thing that has become extremely hurtful and extremely toxic. And that's in the case where, like you said, if the betrayer isn't willing to take responsibility. I get the question a lot, have you ever seen a couple successfully come back from an affair? And I think that's people desperately wanting to know if there's hope. 
And I can say I have walked many couples, not just one, many couples have successfully healed from an affair, but it is always when the betrayer was willing to do the work, take responsibility, and do it for as long as is needed. Angie, have you ever seen a tipping point where a betrayer came in initially standoffish, maybe not ready to fully embrace the pain that they had inflicted, and then finally get to a point where they could they could own it? Yes. It, does it happen in a moment? Does it happen over time? What tends to be, and again, every, every, every couple is different. <laughs> For maybe somebody who has been wounded and they're just hoping against all despair yes that maybe their the light bulb will go on for their partner who feels just very distant and cold and hard-hearted mm-hmm. i'm hearing you say that does happen it does how does that happen mm-hmm. a lot of times i i feel like it's that person finally being open to god intervening okay but also being open to going to couples therapy okay um, if they are open to getting that support and getting that help that is really a lot of times when i see that turning point happen when, unfortunately, the really tough conversations are happening. And that's our job, especially in infidelity work. I let people know up front, this isn't comfy, cozy work. A lot of people have this idea that they're going to leave the session feeling so fantastic. And a lot of times that's not the case, especially when we're healing from infidelity. It's a lot of times holding the betrayer's feet to the fire. When I have seen that happen, it's often after a couple sessions of really tough conversations of letting them know, like, this is what needs to be done in order for you guys to move forward. And if this isn't happening we're not going to be able to move forward. I have seen after a couple weeks, suddenly it starts to click a little bit. But it's also meeting the partner that betrayed as a person. And I I think when they feel seen and not seen as an enemy, but seen as a hurting person that we want to help and we want to walk with and that we're not against them, we're, we're with their marriage and we want to see it succeed, I think that can often be a huge tipping point. Oftentimes there's fear of being villainized when they're met as a hurting person too, of saying like, hey, I see that you're hurting in this as well. I want to walk you through this, but I also need to know that you're open to this journey. A lot of times that's when I see the softness come forward, Um, but that doesn't always happen. Sometimes, unfortunately, they're just not in a healthy enough place to do that or whatever pain they're going through is too much. But when the tipping point does happen, it's usually at that place when letting them know I'm not against them. I'm not here to be their enemy. I'm here to walk alongside their marriage. Their marriage is really my client. It's not to side with either of them. And when they realize that it's actually the three of us working together, that's usually when I see the tipping point happen, when they get to be seen not as a villain, but as a hurting person. It's usually that moment. But I hear you saying that it's a, it's, you have to pl- be willing to play the long game. Like there aren't band-aids or quick fixes. No, that's actually one of my favorite phrases, Steve, is I I tell clients up front, I said, I don't do band-aid therapy. And so if we're here for band-aid therapy, I'm not the therapist for you Um, because we are not doing quick, comfy fixes that are going to fall apart in six months. Infidelity work, repair from that is a long game. And that's why I always tell couples, we are not here to avoid triggers. We are not here to avoid the things that are bringing up the hurt, that are bringing up the affair. We're going to learn to manage them, build trust, and heal through them together. Because triggers are going to happen five years from now, 10 years from now. You could have not had a trust trigger in five years, and then suddenly you pass a billboard, or you hear a sentence or a song on the radio, and next thing you know, the, the hurt of the affair just hits you in the face full force. But because our work is to help the couple manage that and build trust through that and communicate through that, I'm like, it doesn't matter when the triggers come. What matters is that you know how to work through them. You know how to rebuild your marriage through them. 
So I've gotten emails from clients where it had been five years since I'd seen them. And they were like, hey, we had a huge trigger the other day. And it didn't even phase us. In fact, it didn't set us back at all. We were able to work through it beautifully. And and that's why it has to be the long game. Unfortunately, it's very easy for especially the betrayer to get stuck in the pattern of, shouldn't we be over this by now? Shouldn't you be over this by now? And letting them know that's not a thing and that's not something that's okay to say to the hurt partner because it will be a hurt that they carry forever and that needs to be loved for, cared for, validated. That trust needs to be continued to be built forever. And a lot of times there's a fear of, well, then I'm just going to be under the microscope forever. It's like, no, it's going to be you guys working through this hurt together. But if you're not willing to be honest and transparent, how are we supposed to do that? So it's about really managing those triggers together and learning to help the couple work through them so that when they do happen 10 years from now, no problem. We know how to do this. So if the hurt party is trying to hold the betrayer to account or trying to hold their mm-hmm. feet to the fire, trying to hold them accountable for behaviors and systems and patterns, and maybe the betrayer is just getting fatigued and they're like, you're just trying to control me. You don't trust oh, yes. me. You're trying to shame me. Yes. What's what's your counsel in that scenario? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the thing is, is because that is, and like I was saying, it's in that first session, letting them know that part of my job is to help them set the groundwork for this healing is to know the path in front of them. So that is always something I predict for couples right up front. I was like, I hear that you are on board with this. I hear that you want to build that trust with your partner. I am going to just predict for you now in six months or in four months or in eight months, there's gonna, there is going to come a point where you are going to say, how much longer do we have to do this? Aren't we over this by now? There is going to come a point where you are going to get fatigued of it. And when that point comes, I'm going to remind you of this conversation. And I'm going to say, hey, do you remember when I told you you're going to get to the point of burnout? You're in it now. And it is at that point more than ever that your partner needs your support and your consistency and your encouragement. Because it's at that point where we've actually been working and moving forward. It's at the point where you're going to feel exhausted. You're going to feel like you want to give up. And we want to encourage that the work is working because a lot of times at that point, that is what's coming up for them. They're like, we've put all this work in and these triggers are still happening, so it must not be working. And so what they really need is the therapist to come alongside them and remind them that does not mean it isn't working. That is just how tough this trust is to build and how deep this hurt goes. What you're doing matters. Building this trust matters. We have to stay the course. We have to push through and continue even more than ever to be concretely building the trust with your partner, validating their hurt, validating their betrayal, because it is working. Because if we've hit that point, it's because we've been going at it for a while. And so oftentimes hearing from their partner that the things that they have been doing are actually building the trust is a great encouragement at that moment. But that's a lot of times where I call couples therapists where we have to be the hope holder. In those moments where they're like, this isn't working, we have to let them know that that we know it is and that we trust it is and we need them to stay the course with us. And and that's incredibly humbling and vulnerable work to do to know that you need to hold the hope for that couple. And you're asking a big ask of them to say, hey, trust me. I need you to trust me with this process um, because you have to do the work, but you are trusting me with the process of what this looks like. It, it's it's humbling work, but in that moment, the greatest thing we can do is intervene and encourage what's actually working, what what we're doing going forward, and reminding them that it does matter, and we have to just we have to stay the course. So it takes some very very direct tough conversations, but there's always a moment when it's like I can't do this anymore. So what's it like for you as a therapist, where you're having to hold hope for a lot of people at the same time? 
it's a great honor to to be honest. Um, I've always tried to be careful with my own self-care, my own, you know, how I'm taking care of myself to make sure that I'm not in a place of burnout or I'm not in a place that is leading me to not be able to hold that hope for my clients. Um, it's incredibly humbling and it's a great honor. Um, but the support of great colleagues around you, that's why one of the biggest reasons I love winning at home is it really is, and I know people say this all the time, but it truly is just an incredible family. Um, the support we give each other here, not just clinically, but personally, we really are constantly checking in on each other. And honestly, I think it creates an environment where the best clinical work can be done. Um, Cause there are days where it's like, ooh, that was a couple really tough sessions. And to have people come alongside you and encourage you and pray for you and remind you of the important work that we're doing allows you to continue holding that hope for those clients and allows you to continue holding that space. And it's just an incredible symbiotic relationship to keep that going and to be able to hold that. And you, what do you say to, to parents of a couple who's struggling or to small group members or to clergy people or to neighbors who are intimately involved and trying to be supportive, but they're not clinically trained. They don't know how to hold hope. Mm-hmm. What what encouragement do you have to people who are in the blast zone of <laughs> That's in, a good way of putting it. Yeah. Who who really do want the couple to win? Well, a lot of times first and foremost, uh especially the hurt partner can feel very paralyzed that they can't go to anybody because they can feel like they have to protect their spouse, that they need to protect the betrayer. So it can often be hard like you said in the blast zone to know how to help because a lot of times couples can be very private about it or often feel like they can't even talk about it because they can feel like if we do decide to move forward and heal our marriage, will my family and friends still accept this person? Mm. That is, I think, one of the biggest supportive things is to let that hurt partner know that you love them and you support them and that you want to be here for them and to know that whatever path they decide, you're going to be there to support them and to support their marriage if that's what the decision is. And so just coming alongside, being a listening ear, letting them know you're there to talk to, no judgment. That's one of the most important things is in that place, they're already confused. They're already conflicted. Their heart is torn apart. As friends and family, you can often feel a lot of anger and frustration towards the betrayer and have your own thoughts and feelings about it. But remembering that those are yours to to manage your hurt, your anger, that's not to be put on the hurt partner. Instead, it's coming alongside them and saying, hey, we love you. We're here for you. How can we help? Um, and sometimes that might be, hey, have you found a good couples therapist? Can we help you find one? Okay. For some couples, it can be maybe that's not in the finances for them. Well, if there is a friend or family member where they're able to be generous, that would be another way to come alongside. Hey, could could we support you in getting couples therapy? But one of the biggest things is to remember that even though you are also angry and you are also hurt, we want to come alongside and, and protect that hurt partner and encourage that hurt partner and let them know we love them and we're here for them, but we're not going to project our judgments all over them because they are just trying to figure it out for themselves. Angie, mm-hmm. what do you do when kids are involved? Sometimes mm-hmm. there are toddlers who the whole thing kind of just kind of mm-hmm. flies over their head. Mm-hmm. There are other situations where children are in mm-hmm. middle school or they're in yeah. high school or they're in college, and mm-hmm. even if things haven't been explained to them explicitly, they're smart enough to read between the lines. What do you do yes. then? Well, I can speak both professionally and from experience because sure. I was one of those kids, Steve. Um, many, many times growing up there was infidelity, and it was very public, and it was very – and I had just the most and had the most incredible mother – who kept things so normal and so consistent for us and almost kind of like protected us from the blast zone where despite, and and that was because she was making sure to manage things healthy for herself. She got a therapist. She was leaning on her support system. She was knowing that she needed support because she was really hurting, but that was not to be put on us. 
And so we were kind of protected from that because of my mother. And so both personally and professionally, it's okay to ask the kids, do you have any questions? But remember, the the kids aren't there to take care of you. We don't want to parentify them. We don't want to put them in a role that they are supposed to now caretake, which is really hard because especially as teenagers, um, they can often fall into that role naturally where they want to protect, they want to take care of their parent. And so it's important as healthy parents to encourage them that, you know, I have support. I'm getting help. That is not your job. And so keeping their life as normal as possible, but also making sure to check in on them. How are you doing with this? And sometimes that's even saying, hey, would you like to go talk to somebody that's just for you? That can be incredibly healing, especially for kids that are like, I know what's going on, but I don't know what to do with it and are feeling protective and confused. Sometimes just giving them a safe space for themselves to process all of this with an outside person can be really, really helpful. And so also asking them, just offering, would you like to go talk to someone? And if they say no, that's okay. That's all right. But remembering we want to keep it consistent for them and as much as possible protect them while also asking them if they have questions and letting them know that it's okay for them to come to a parent. It's okay to come to a family member or a friend and talk about those things. And that sounds all really nice and fluffy and like tied in a neat bow and there's nothing neat or fluffy about it. It's, it's hard and it's painful. And so we can only do that to the best of our abilities is just love them well. Mm-hmm. Angie, that's great insight. Thank you. One more question. You and I have yeah. had some engaging and intriguing conversations about purity culture and some of some yes. of the downsides and some of the fallout from that. And I was recently reading a book that said, unfortunately, one of the liabilities of purity culture is that intimacy issues in couples got weaponized to justify infidelity mm. or, or the fear of potential infidelity have led some partners to engage in certain forms of intimacy that might not feel natural or safe or comfortable because of this great fear that if they don't accommodate their partner's desire or whim in this particular instance, then they, they risk losing them to mm. a stranger or a potential affair partner. Mm-hmm. What do you say to couples who have kind of grown up through that? How do we, those of us who kind of grew up in the purity cultural mm-hmm, environment, mm-hmm. how do we keep our conversations from about intimacy from shaming women and, sorry, I'm going to generalize on, on gender okay. here, but shaming women and enabling men to just be able to say like, oh, well, this person's entitled to X because they can't contain themselves. And if they don't get it from you, they're going to get it from somebody else. Mm. Steve, that's a loaded question because there's, there's we'll a lot. save that for another episode. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. I was going to say there's a lot to unpack there. Really, some some of that what it boils down to, like you said, is starting to change the language around what healthy and beautiful sexuality looks like. Okay. It's changing the language around, and unfortunately, it, we've completely missed missed the point when we're harping on it that way. And so, it's changing the language around sex. Sex isn't a need. It's it's not it's not food. It's not air. It's not shelter. It's a desire. Mm-hmm. It's a desire. And when we change the language around that and also understand what's actually going on, and I think you and I have talked about this, that we have some fantastic research out there that shows us that levels of sexual desire vary more um, within gender groups than between gender groups. So we've completely missed the point of taking this idea that like men are these sexualized animals that like can't survive without it and, and that women don't have any sexual desires and just... You know, and that their pleasure is just completely off the table. Right. Um, and I know this is a podcast that was deeply sarcastic. It's having to change the language around that and start to have real conversations about healthy and beautiful sexuality. There is so much to unpack there. We could totally do another episode on that. Okay. But when it relates, like you were saying, to infidelity, 
oftentimes when I'm seeing that kind of toxicity in a relationship around, well, I wasn't getting my needs met from her, and I'm doing air quotes around needs. Sure, right. <laughs> when we're having, it's, it's really helping the couple not only psychoeducate them, that's not how it's designed to be. It's not, well, these are these needs. It's not food. It's not air. It's not water. You will not die. It goes so much deeper than that in the relationship. Clearly, our connection is broken. Clearly, we are struggling to connect. And what we've done then is because we've been given messages from purity culture that we've now weaponized that, it's now weaponized in the marriage, where we're just using that as a weapon against our partner instead of being open and willing to address the real issues going on. And there's so much to dig into there. But oftentimes it's helping the, the couple see, okay, we're stuck on talking about this thing when what's really going on is a lot deeper. Okay. And so a lot of times when I just start psychoeducating couples on, on healthy, real sex, it totally disarms where it's like, okay, well, we can't stand on that weapon anymore because I've just torn it apart. Gotcha. <laughs> and it's helping them get deeper. And so a lot of times it's, I feel like me just psychoeducating and giving good information about healthy sex and what that's like and the good research we have. And there's some great resources out there now um, that unfortunately we didn't have 10 years ago. But yeah, it's having to change the language and changing the way we talk about sex and changing the way we talk about God's design for it and getting rid of some of those toxic weaponizing messages that demonize both men and women. It's just taken all of it and doused it in shame and unfortunately led to not, not only singles, but couples really struggling to discover what healthy, beautiful, vibrant intimacy looks like in their marriages, which we could do a whole other episode on because that's another thing I just love walking couples through. It's incredibly exciting. All right, let's put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. And promise to come back. Sounds good. Andy, before we go, if there is a couple who's in the very early stages of Mm -hmm. trying to put pieces back together again Mm -hmm. in the wake of infidelity, Mm -hmm. whether it was something that happened once or something that's been long term or whether there's been serial partners. It's, it, there, there is a couple who just, they feel like they're, they can't see their hand in front of their face. Just mm-hmm. the despair is that thick. Mm-hmm. What words do you have mm-hmm. for them? I would want that person to know that I know your whole world has just been shattered apart. And you don't even know what's left and what's right and what's in front of you. And you don't know where you parked your car and you can't find your keys. And you're physically sick and you can't see the next step in front of you, that that is totally okay because your whole world has just been shattered. You are allowed to have that response. You are allowed to feel entirely and completely betrayed. And that there is hope. There are people that want to come alongside you and walk through you and that have walked this path before. And so it's okay that you don't know what the next step is. It's okay that you don't know where to go from here. That is why we are here and that is why we love to do what we do. We want to come alongside you. We want to walk this with you. We want you to know that you don't have to do it alone um, because we're not meant to. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate thanks, your, your words of wisdom and grace and encouragement. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Hope Through Hard Stuff with Steve Norman. If you've got more questions about the services that Winning at Home offer, please don't hesitate to check us out online at winningathome.com. Thanks so much, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.